our lives. And we don't hold back on anything. Welcome, every single one of you. I am delighted uh, that you have chosen this day uh, to be here um, with God's people, singing of God's praise, um, learning from his word this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are thankful for who you are, and we are thankful, Lord, that we are called your own children as we acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We thank you for your word that we have now uh, some time to draw our attention to. Lord, I, I would pray that your Holy Spirit that is present with us would open our eyes and, hear, and ears to hear. Father, I thank you and, and I love you for the design of the local church that you have given. And God, I would ask right now that as we focus on our role in, in the body, as part of the body, that we would see this, Lord, as a delightful and a wonderful privilege and opportunity. Father, help us to see ourselves less and to see you more. We ask this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, we have some ground to cover this morning. If you recall last week, I introduced to you Romans chapter 12. Romans, the book of Romans, different from other letters that, that Paul has written, is not written to correct um, errant theology like the Colossians, okay? The Colossae heresy. Romans is not for that purpose. Uh, Romans is not written as well to even correct ungodly living like the Corinthians, Instead, the church at Rome actually, uh, Lord willing, like you and I in some ways, were doing church well. They were doing all the things. They, they were doctrinally sound, well-grounded, secure in their belief. They are having baptisms and, and babies were being born. And the church, in all honesty, were doing a lot of things right by way of checking off the boxes. I think of the young ministry that God has called us to be part of right here in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, Big Woods. We can check off the boxes. We have, we have ministry for this, and we have youth group, and we have women's ministry, and home groups. We can check boxes. The problem is, is that we have a tendency of doing ministry by withholding bits and pieces of ourself, of our time, of our talent, of our tithe, and, and, and giving the Lord, in a sense, the leftovers. Um, Paul writes to this church in Rome and says, no, it doesn't work like that. And, and, and the same reminder for you and I this morning, it doesn't work like that. By way of review, we saw Paul's writing this at the end of his third missionary journey. He began last week, we saw, I appeal to you or I beg you. There's something really, really important. He says, I implore you. This is not a small matter, an insignificant, unimportant. It's actually a really big deal. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, a connector all the way back, actually, not just to the previous chapter 11, to all of the first 11 chapters, by the mercies of God. In a sense, what Paul is doing is he's creating a foundation, a base, that says, everything that I tell you is based upon the fact that you and I deserve damnation and separation from God for all of eternity. But because of his mercies... Because of his kindness and his grace, he's offered a way for us to be rescued, redeemed, and to be in relationship 
with our holy heavenly father through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We offer ourselves as living sacrifices, not like a, a, a creepy human sacrifice. Okay, not that. But every day we wake up with one goal in mind, one goal in mind, not your list or my list of what we want to do, one goal in mind. And that is what? For the glory of God. We offer, we saw last week, our body, our mind, and our will. Now we pick it up this, this morning. This is a really important text. We'll read it in its entirety from three through eight, but it's too much to handle in one week. So we're going to break it into two sections, what I call part one. We'll see in verses three, four, and five. And then next week, part two in verses six, seven, and eight. Pick it up with me. Romans chapter 12. Listen very carefully. We pick it up in verse three through verse eight. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We begin at the top, and once again, the author makes mention of that which we do not deserve. We saw in, in, in last week, verse 1, we talked about the fact that God's mercy is given to us. Today in verse 3, it's again something that we do not deserve. God's grace is mentioned by the grace that is given to me. Now, you've probably heard of that word grace before. In, in, in Greek, it's the word charos or charis. It, it's defined as unmerited favor. Strong defines it as what divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. And it's a beautiful kind of understanding of this gift that God has given to us. We know grace is something like you don't earn it. You, 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 can't, you can't win it. You can't buy it. It is simply something that is given to us. Now pause here for a moment. This is actually really, really hard for us to just receive something. Do you realize that? That actually we in ourselves are so self-absorbed and so prideful, it's actually difficult just to receive something as opposed to what we actually like to do. We like to give things because then it tells what others how amazing and how great we are. Oswald Chambers says it like this, and I quote, The gospel of the grace of God awakens an intense longing in human souls and an equally intense resentment. Because the truth that reveals is not palatable or easy to swallow. There's a certain pride in people that causes them to give and give, but to come and accept a gift is another thing. 
I will give my life to martyrdom. I will dedicate my life to service. I will do anything. But do not humiliate me to the level of the most hell-deserving sinner and tell me that all I have to do is accept the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, that's a powerful quote because it really, in a sense, pierces our hearts, reminding us and what giving us reflection of the fact that, that, that grace given is a great reminder because it takes all of the boasting that we love to do and all of the bragging and having a sense of pride or being puffed up and, and, and receiving grace simply as a gift takes all of our abilities, our strengths, and completely tosses them aside. So Paul writes what? I say to everyone, not to think more highly than he ought to think. I literally froze on that phrase. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So we come this morning into God's house. We are amazed by God's blessing and grace and mercy all around us. We are recipients of that. And the first place that Paul goes to as recipients of his grace is that you and I stop thinking so highly about yourself. I was struck with this thought of panic. Technically speaking, in my tiny little mind, I have a plan to get through the chapter 12 of Romans by the end of the summer. Do you realize that I could spend the entire, the whole summer, I, I, could, I should spend the whole summer, I could spend the whole year on that phrase right there for you and I to learn not to think more highly than we ought to think. We would say what? If you were an astronaut, I don't think we have any astronauts amongst us. We would say this, Houston, we have a problem here. We, we live in a culture, and you have to understand this, we live in a culture that is literally obsessed with the subject of our own self-esteem. All, all, of, all of everything from your, the classes you choose to the resume that you build to the career that you end up, everything is shaped upon what? On, on developing, on honing, on perfecting and presenting and polishing a good self-esteem. Almost to the place that it has become cult-like. And I, and I choose that word very carefully and intentionally. It has become cult-like in our country. I don't believe there has ever been a more self-indulging or self-promoting society than America in the 21st century. The Babylonians, Romans, perhaps the Egyptians. I, I tell you what, America is right up there. Listen to this, listen to this. Not that long ago, an, an international test in mathematics was administered to children from 10 countries. There were two parts to the test. The first part was mathematical competency. And the second part were the feelings of self-esteem with respect to the student's performance. Now, two ironies stood out with this particular test. 
Korean students were last in their estimation of their performance and yet first in what? In their competency. Which means what? Korean students, along with the rigorous pursuit of academic excellence, were taught the principles of humility. And guess what? You know where I'm going. To our absolute shame. American students tested dead last in mathematical competency and number one in self-esteem. What's the problem here? A high view of oneself despite absolutely miserable performance. The truth is, is we see that what we see that everywhere. Now, of course, and I understand this. No, 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 no. It's it's what it's it's confidence. We have confidence, right? Because what we're we're Americans. And we, we love that. We win battles. We win wars. We solve problems. That's who we are. Well, well, today in Scripture, we look at the importance of what we're supposed to have confidence in. In who we are to have our confidence in. What, what, what? By the grace given to me, I say not to think more highly than you ought to think. Grace, 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 grace. I love little Damaris who was singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And she kept looking up the entire time she was singing it. Grace is what something that God has, has poured out into our lives. Now, if, if you and I were to consider the condition of our own hearts, at our very nature, we are what? We are rebellious against God. One of the strongest indicators of this is that for some reason, we have a constant temptation to boast and to brag about ourselves. With that thought in mind, Paul writes this. He said, think Soberly, the word is sophronio. Think with a sound mind. Think with a right mind. Think moderately. Or we could easily translate it today into this. Think carefully. Okay, here it is. Paul is saying, think before you speak. And if in this statement that you are thinking about saying, if it draws attention to yourself and, it, and it's designed to puff you up and make you look better in some way, in some capacity, Paul is saying, don't say it. Don't, don't even let those words come out of your mouth. And believe me, I am learning every day and realizing every day how much I fail in this area right here. Because we have what? We live in a cult-like society that says you better polish yourself and present yourself well. Why is it? Why? Because it's according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What's interesting here automatically is that we put the emphasis on the wrong place in that particular phrase. According to the measure of faith that God has 
a sign. And we, we automatically, well, it must be talking about the amount of faith or the quantity of faith. The more faith I have, the more what? Well, the more impressive, right? So God must know. That, translate, that phrase can actually be translated a couple different ways. And the way that it's used here in Scripture is not emphasizing the quantity. It's not emphasizing the amount of faith. It's actually emphasizing the object of faith itself. And we know this earlier because Scripture is what? To be compared with Scripture. And we see in context of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 4. And he explains this with one who has faith. Romans chapter 4 and verse 2, it says this, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness, which means what? It's simply the belief in God. Therefore, having a firm Trust in God's promises. You this morning, having a firm trust in God's promises. Now, what I have realized is that some have it. Some have it. A faith in what God's righteous requirement has been paid through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Some people have that faith and other people, they just do not. They do not have that faith. Therefore, the phrase here, it must mean the measure that is faith. The emphasis is not on the amount of it, it's the object of it. All of that to say what? Christians must must learn to examine our own lives. We get up and we see and we maneuver our way through the day through the light of the gospel. When we truly see ourselves in the unflattering fact that we are sinners first and foremost, but we are recipients of God's grace and mercy, then what happens? All boasting, Boger's got nothing to brag about. Nothing to brag about. For by the grace given, grace is given to me, I say to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, I, I know where you're thinking, wait a minute, what's this text about? This, this whole text is, is on the subject of the gifts of grace that God has given to us, the spiritual gifts. Now, they're listed in verses 6 through 9. Although the word gift, gifts, is used only one time in verse 6, that's what the whole text is about. But before we get to the list, and yes, I will, and I want to get to that list, and I will next week, Paul is building a whole case on how we are to see our gifts and specifically how we are to use our gifts alongside of one another because that's what the local church is all about. That's what Romans 12 is about. Let me just very quickly clarify both Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, when we hear this term... Um, uh, spiritual gifts. This is not talents or abilities, okay? To have the gift of playing an instrument or to sing or play a sport or solve math problems or, or, or ride a unicycle, okay? None of those things are what we're talking about. 
This is a spiritual gift that God imparts through His Spirit upon believers for the express purpose, the single purpose of bringing glory to God and building up the body of Christ. Now, I know whenever we deal with this subject of spiritual gifts, it's it's a really, and, and I've sensed this over the years, it's a really touchy, almost, I would say, a a prickly, sensitive subject. You see, the reason, there's two reasons. The first one is that God chooses to give one gift to one particular person, and he also chooses to withhold a gift from another person. And we have a really hard time with this. Why? Because we actually think that we would do a better job of identifying which gifts I have and which gifts you have. And we have a problem with, well, why does he always get to do that? Like, why, why does she? And so that's one of the reasons it's kind of a prickly subject. Another reason it's kind of a touchy subject is whenever we speak about the subject of gifts given to us directly from God, we, we, we run to the extreme. We automatically run the risk of inflating ourselves. Yes, God gave me this ability. God himself, who formed Everest, gave me a gift. What happens? What happens? That happens, okay? Just just mess all over. Or else the opposite is what? Because, because... We don't have any say in this. We deflate ourselves because we are reminded also of what we have not been given. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't have what he has. I, I can't do what she, she can do. And so we run the risk of deflating. And that's the problem. Both attitudes are wrong and both attitudes are dangerous. We need to come to a place where we honestly evaluate our own lives. To know and to understand and accept according to the measure of faith. God has a sign, which means what? This is not up to you. Okay, it's not like, really? I really want this one. Oh, that doesn't matter. I'm sorry, what you want? You can go to the back of the bust. Okay, that, that's what we have to hold. It's not up. So we don't compare. We don't compete. We don't measure. And we don't judge. We recognize simply the gifts that have been given. It's a wrong, wrong wrong in every way to what? To overrate or underrate, to inflate or deflate. Now, now Paul is way ahead of us. Okay, he understands all the potential problems that come with the subject of spiritual gifts, and that's why he writes this next verse. But we will pause on, for as in one body, we have many members... And, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though uh, many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now, basic law of hermeneutics is what? When you see the same word repeated three times in a short phrase like that. One, one, one. Three times. There's something that the author wants to emphasize. It's the idea of being one, of oneness, of being in unity. And so what he does is he uses the analogy of the human body. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in Ephesians chapter 4. The first series, which none of you remember, I ever preached on at Big Woods was from Ephesians chapter 4. We preached through the whole chapter. 
And it's on the body okay, of believers, like a physical body. Just as the, the physical body has many different members that do different things, so the local church has many different members that function in different ways. Now I get to my first point, which is a really good plan. Number one, what do I do with my gift? We move through this very quickly. What do I do with my gift? What do I do with it? Here we are. Recognize it, accept it, and then exercise it. Okay, it's really simple. What do, I, what do I do with my... I get one little gift. What do I do with this? We recognize it, we accept it, and exercise it. Now, to recognize simply means what? To know to be something that is perceived. Let let me tell you this. You won't have to try to convince anyone what your spiritual gift is. It becomes very evident when your spiritual gift is being exercised. Well, Well, how do I exercise it unless I know what it is? When we, when we trust the Lord, when we wake up with one purpose, God, I exist. Every breath, every beat of my heart is for your glory. Can I, can I tell you, can I assure you, God is not in the whole idea of like keeping you in confusion, of like messing with your mind. What we learn here really is that when we willingly demonstrate God's gift of grace in our lives, he does the work. Like he will, he, will, he will move the parts that need to be moved. The key word here is surrender, which takes us back to what? Chapter 12, verse 1. We are living sacrifice. The biggest part of the argument is what is, is us seeing less of ourselves and offering our, our total self to the, Lord, to the Lord as a living sacrifice. It's about surrender and it's about submission. He does the rest. You do not choose your gift. Your only responsibility in knowing that God chooses it, the Holy Spirit equips it, others confirm it, is for you to get busy. Is to be busy exercising what? The little tiny muscle that you are in the whole body of Christ. Now, now I can't help but think about my own call to ministry. Like, how, how what does this look like? Like, how did I know this? My, my call to ministry, I won't go into the... It's just, it's kind of unique and different, I think, from probably most people who are called to be a pastor. Number one, I, I did not want to be a pastor. Okay, just make that very, very clear. I grew up, I watched my dad in full-time ministry, and it wasn't necessarily that I was antagonistic. I was just simply indifferent. What what I do remember is I, I watched my older brother, who was called at the age of 14 years old. He was 14, and God called him to be a pastor, and he was on track. Played college baseball. When he graduated from college, the Pittsburgh Pirates called him up and said, hey, we want to send you to camp down south. You want to go? He said, no, sir. God called me to be a pastor. I said, hey, does he want to talk to me? Like, I'm here, little brother. 
And it was, it was unmoving. It was unwavering. There was no... I, I watched the Lord call my brother-in-law into ministry. Married my little sister. He's pastoring up in New York. I watched the Lord call my other brother-in-law. He's planting churches in Africa. And I, and I watched this. I, I, I watched my father-in-law for 20 years. He was preaching in the pulpit faithfully. And, and all of these, I'm like, yeah, I don't see it. Yeah, I, I, don't, I went to college to teach and to coach. That was, that was my goal. And, and God, God, God turns us the direction that He wants us to go when we learn the idea of submission and surrender. April 1995. And I remember the idea, God, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this anymore, am I? He's like, no, why are you so slow in figuring this out? And the idea is, is that, 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 that literally holds, is that on my shelf in my office, I have the names, okay, of 15 different men who sat on my ordination council who affirmed the one little gift that the Holy Spirit has given to me, the gift of exhortation. I believe I have that one little gift the Holy Spirit gave. And those men signed and said, he has that. I don't have to convince someone. That was known. And, and that's, I believe, that's what we do in recognizing, accepting it, exercising it. There's nothing wrong with recognizing what you have as a gift or recognizing what someone else has as a gift. You can assist in affirming them. Part of the questions I ask and all the time, people are like, well, I, don't, I don't know what my gift is. I, I usually begin, it's, it's, it's pretty simple, two questions. Question number one, what do you like to do? And question number two, what are you good at doing? Now the hard part is the question number two is a lot of times you can't answer that question. Other people can answer that question for you. What, 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 do you. what do you like to do? Well, we all like to do like a lot of stuff. Well, that doesn't mean that you get to do it. Other people surrounding you will affirm this is what he's good at doing. This is what he is not good at doing. Understand that? What do I do with my gift? Recognize it, accept it, exercise it. Secondly, and finally, how do all of our gifts work together? Let me just tell you very quickly, beautifully, that's the way we say it in Philly, sorry, I don't even know how the right way it's pronounced, it's beautiful, beautifully in unity. How do all of our gifts work together? Beautifully in unity. Let me ask you a question, you ever... You ever been to a symphony before? Four sections. You have the woodwinds and brass and strings and percussion. You kind of close your eyes and, and it gets loud, it gets soft, and it kind of moves. Yeah, ever been to a symphony before? Okay, neither have I, all right? Have you ever seen a 643 double play? Shortstop flips to the second baseman and in one smooth, beautiful motion, he turns to, do you understand? What I'm asking is this, have you ever really seen 
with your eyes, a runner run. Not, not Mr. Pudgepot trying to lose 10 pounds, okay? Like a runner run. You ever see a dancer dance and a boxer box? It is what? It's beautiful. There's like all kinds of parts, just all kinds of things happening. And, and to watch and to witness, it's, it's amazing. How does one human move with such grace and yet with such strength? That, that if you picture, is exactly what we together as a body is supposed to be moving like. That, that's really what it, it should, people should step back and look at Big Woods and say, it is like a dancer dancing. And, and I, I oftentimes wonder that we still wrestle with what? We're thinking a little too highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Which means you got like one foot doing too many things and, and it's not working, it's not happening. When we really learn the idea here of how important it is to work as one in beautiful, fluid motion. And, and I'm afraid at times it just doesn't happen like that. I heard of a pastor, he was studying on a Sunday, Saturday, Saturday afternoon, he has three kids and a couple other neighborhood kids and they were playing outside. His window was open, he studied and he heard just like loud commotion, like arguing and fighting. And, and he's like, hey, what, what are you guys doing out there? No joke, honest response. We're playing church, Dad. Th think, think in all honesty how easy it is for us to assert ourselves. This is what I want. No, no, that's not, that's not what oneness and unity one in motion. Now, I, I understand I will and, and want to get to the list. We'll get to that list and we'll explain and define so we can understand, well, how is it we're supposed to be functioning? But may we understand when there's an emphasis of one body, we are members one of another. We're to not think more highly than we ought to think, but think soberly. We think carefully. Before I say these words, if it draws any attention, any attention whatsoever. I'm not talking about the fact that you're sharing with someone a gift that can be used, but they'll, they'll confirm that, affirm that, witness that. If we are tempted to do that, then, then simply don't say it. We, 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 we understand that God is the one who has given, who has dispersed and dispensed. Don't argue with him. Don't fight it. Don't compare. Accept it. Exercise it for his glory. A wonderful reminder of how important the body of Christ is to function. Father, we love you and we thank you for allowing us to have a little tiny part of what you are doing to expand your kingdom for your glory. Help us to be faithful in doing that. In your name we pray.